Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us. We gather today for worship, for hearing God's Word, for being sent out. Thank you for being here. Uh, we, uh, we come today into a strange world. Uh, the last year and a half, two years, things have not been normal, obviously. For the last month, many of you have been sick, going through different trials and tribulations, lots of changes. Uh, boy, it seems like in this day and age, everybody's quitting. That maybe the, the, the national trauma is so great, maybe the chaos of life is so challenging, maybe the, the world is stirred up so terribly that everything is in flux. What I've noticed is people are quitting their jobs, people are quitting traditions, people are quitting relationships, people are quitting marriages. They are pulling back from all the kind of things they used to be doing. New traditions are started. New habits are being formed. And and not all of it's bad. Not all of it's terrible. Not all of it's wrong. Maybe there's a, a place for a restart. Push the button. Start again. But as I alluded to, I don't know if it was in this service or second service last week, Walking around town, looking around town, it, it seems like I, I've wondered if people are quitting Christmas. What I mean by that is, is, is people aren't quitting the holidays. People haven't stopped putting up lights to a degree. People haven't stopped hoping for a celebration. But I wonder if people have begun to quit Jesus Have people begun to quit their love, their worship, their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Please open your Bibles to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created. In Him, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, 
He is now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, in which I, Paul, became a minister. Now, I don't believe that a lot of people are quitting Jesus. I don't believe that those who have been founded in Jesus Christ, that there will be a great number that turn away. But we are in a season of shift, a, a great sorting and sifting and shaking out in our world. And maybe this is the time, maybe this is the season, maybe this is a, a, an arena in our life, a, a, a spectacle of time where people who have been maybe religious in certain ways, maybe they've been in Christian positions and, and they've, they've attended Christian churches, maybe, maybe they've come to the conclusion that it's time to quit church. It's time to quit those old ways. It's not working for me. It's time to leave Jesus and find something new. Where is your hope today? Is your hope still in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is your faith still established and firm on Jesus Christ? In... Paul's day, he was in prison and he heard reports from people in Colossae saying that there were teachers there that were teaching that Jesus wasn't sufficient. There was teachers there, and it seems, if, if, if we put together the clues from the book of Colossians, it seems that there was a crisis, there was a great fear that was sweeping through the church, a fear that was sweeping through the town, that there was spiritual beings, angelic beings, evil spirits who were on the attack that were destroying lives and, and ruining lives and wrecking lives. And we don't know the whole story. We know their pagan background and some of the beliefs they had and some of the worldview uh, ideas that they had about, about the spirit world. But nevertheless, there was a, a turning, apparently, in the community towards other ways of safety, security, salvation, away from Jesus Christ. And so the letter of Colossians is written to these people to warn them not to be deceived. seems that what was happening was people were afraid and these teachers would come and say, yeah, Jesus is okay, but we have the real program. We have the real way that you can be safe, that you can be delivered, that you can be rescued. And it involves aesthetic practices. Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Some legalistic practices. You, you, you need to walk in, in certain righteous ways to be protected. But then uh, some, some aesthetic uh, practices joined to some esoteric practices. Some secret rites, some secret rituals, some worship of angels. Some dark ways. The idea was, if you had these visions of angels, if you found these, these, these beings, if you could meet with them, they might give you some secret teaching. They might give you some secret knowledge, some revealed wisdom that could help you defend yourself against the attacks. And so Paul is writing to these people, and he says, don't be deceived. And that's what verses 21 through 23 are about. Hey, 
Remember who you are, Christian. Remember where you came from. Once you were enemies of God. You were alienated from God because of your mind, your thinkings, your, your, your processings, your, your ways of, of, of understanding this world. You were enemies of God. And that led to you acting in evil ways in the world. Once you were outside of God's grip of grace. One one time you were outside of His kingdom. You were in the, the kingdom of darkness. But now He has delivered you. Now He has rescued you through the shedding of His blood on the cross. He has saved you. And verse 23 gets to the warning. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel you heard, which is proclaimed in all the creation under heaven, in which I, Paul, have become a minister. There is this this cultural thing going on in in, in Colossae, where, where people are saying, maybe Jesus isn't enough. Maybe He isn't sufficient. Maybe He isn't powerful enough to save me. Maybe I need to go somewhere else or look somewhere else for, for a good life. Maybe I need to look somewhere else for, for a sa- salvation and protection. And then Paul says, man, once you were outside of the kingdom, now you're inside the kingdom, don't you drift away from Jesus Christ. Stay established and firm in your faith. Don't give up on the hope that you've received the confident expectation of new life in Christ, heaven. Don't you give up on that. And so so verses 15 through 20, Paul says, don't you know who Jesus is? Don't you have a hold on this Jesus? Don't you know how great He is and how glorious He is and how how He is the only Savior. So verses 15 through 20, they're Paul laying before us some reasons why Jesus is sufficient. Why Jesus is the way. Why your salvation is found only in Him. My friends, uh, my daughter Katie and I were talking yesterday about how powerful culture is. Both of us have spent some time in Japan, and with all the technology in the Japan and all, all the innovations they have, one thing they don't really believe in is indoor heating. And we're like, why is that? They can do anything technologically-wise, and they don't like houses that are heated. It's a cultural understanding. Maybe we are in a season right now where you are wondering if you shouldn't leave everything behind and start fresh. Maybe we're in a cultural moment where you're getting caught up in the culture saying that I need to do this different or I need to leave that or change that. Or maybe you're even here today and you're thinking about why should I be a Christian anymore? Why should I go to church anymore? Why should I worship Jesus anymore? I look around and the majority of the culture is living differently. Maybe I don't have to go there either. Maybe I don't have to live in the old ways anymore either. Maybe I should give up my faith in Jesus Christ. Hear Paul's word to you. Do you have Jesus today? 
Are you holding on to Him today? Are you believing in Him for everything that you have today? Verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. The image of the invisible God. If you pull out your uh, wallet, if you have some money in there, uh, I don't want it, uh, I just, illustration-wise, there's a picture on there of some president, probably. Your coins might have an image on there. Remember several years ago uh, when they started doing the new quarters, I think we had an image of the sand dunes on our quarters for Colorado. So an image is a reflection of something, it's a picture of something, something that brings something to mind. In ancient times, images of, 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 of rulers would be placed in different places, in different kingdoms, so that the people would have a reflection of what their ruler looked like, with the idea that that, that statue was a representation of, of the actual ruler, to bring to mind who they owed allegiance to. Uh, you go down to San Luis the, in, in the Stations of the Cross, there's some busts of some priests down there that are supposedly reflective of, of the person that that priest was. You can walk through and see the different busts down there and their images. This is saying that Jesus is the image of the, first of all, the reflection of the invisible God. We can't see God. We see signs of God in the creation, but He is the image of the invisible God. More than a reflection, He is the exact image of God. He is in the flesh the manifestation, as it were, of all that God would be. When you look at Jesus hanging out with prostitutes and sinners, you see the manifestation of God's character, His love, His heart. When you see Him healing people and delivering people and rescuing people, you see a manifestation of God's power and authority and might. You see Him casting out demons and delivering people from the darkness. You see a glory of God in Jesus Christ. He is the exact representation of the living God. And to the culture that he's speaking to, the people that he's speaking to, Paul is saying basically, you're looking for God or, 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 or help through esoteric ways and dark ways. You're looking for other paths and patterns. And Paul is saying, he is the image of God. God has been in your midst. We've seen Him. We've preached Him to you. We testify to His glory and His power and His might. Why would you go anywhere else? If you want to know what God is like, if you want to know His character, if you want to know everything about Him, as we talked about last week, Jesus is the Word. The Word was God. The Word was, was with God. The Word has revealed God and made Him known. Why would you go Anywhere else, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, when we say firstborn, we, we, in our culture, we think of our first child. Maybe we have several children. We have our firstborn in, in, in our family, secondborn, thirdborn, fourthborn. That, that, that's not what He's talking about here. Creation was made by God. Creation, as we learned last week in John chapter 1, was made by Jesus He is the firstborn over creation, meaning He is the first in rank. He is the first in authority. He is the first in power. In Hebrew culture, the firstborn got most of the inheritance. In the the Hebrew culture, the firstborn, what 
Paul is alluding to here. The firstborn was able to give orders to the rest of the siblings by nature of their place in the family. Paul is saying that this Jesus, the one you're thinking of leaving, the one you're thinking of of walking away from, looking for other patterns of salvation, looking for other ways to be saved and rescued and helped. Paul is saying he's the firstborn. He's over creation in every way you can think of. He has rank and authority and might over creation. And when you think about how great creation is, the universe, Jesus is greater. The intricacy of of life, the the beauty of life, the the splendor of, of living things, Jesus is greater. He is firstborn. He has all authority. And so you, you, you pull back a little bit, and if you are going to created things, worldly things for help, and you discard the Creator, the, the, the one in authority and power over all things, how foolish are you? And what Paul would, would say, it, don't be deceived by these man-made religions. Don't be deceived by these worldly teachings. Don't be deceived by these angelic visitations, if they are in fact happening. He is firstborn. He has authority over all things. He controls all things. If you're worried about angelic attack, spiritual attack, demonic attack, go to the firstborn. Go to the one who's in authority and power and ask for his help. There is no one greater. There's no one higher. There's no one better than Jesus the Christ. He is firstborn over all creation. For by Him, verse 16, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. Now there's some beauty in this this section. There's some beauty in these verses, the way that Paul has orchestrated and arranged this hymn of praise. All things were created by Him. He is at the beginning of creation. All things were created through Him. All things were created for Him. He's at the end of all things. He is the beginning and He's the goal. He is the architect, He's the agent, He's the purpose. Of all things. Jesus Christ created all things. Paul emphasizes here whatever you can think of, anything in heaven, anything in heaven that you think's in heaven. In the, their day, of course, they didn't have the Hubble telescope, they didn't have some of the uh, scientific uh, processes we have now to explore things. Like how much nickel or iron is, is on the moon, you can, you can tell, you, you, we know. But back then they didn't know these things. But Paul is saying anything that you can think of in the heavens, anything invisible, Jesus created that. Jesus created that. A trillion, billion, hundred million miles away. (laughs) How many zeros could that be? Jesus made that. The smallest thing you can look down through the most powerful microscope and dial down and see that smallest little quark, the smallest little thing. Jesus made that. And you're departing from Him 
because you're afraid of spirits? Jesus made those spirits. That's why Paul says, he kind of goes into detail here. He says, whether thrones, he's talking spiritual thrones, spiritual dominions, spiritual rulers, spiritual authorities, all the things that go bump in the night, all the things that you think are haunting you, all the things that you think are attacking you or are attacking your business or attacking your family or are coming against you, Jesus is greater. He is the firstborn. Jesus is greater. He is the creator. He made them. Why would you leave anything? Why would you leave him for anything like that? Why would you go to something that's made, something that's drawn up, something that's been dialed up by God, instead of going to God? He is greater. Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is sufficient for everything going on in your life right now that seems out of control. Jesus is totally sufficient for everything in your life right now that you think you can't handle. Jesus is sufficient that you know you can't handle. Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is able to accomplish anything He wants, anytime He wants, because He is the Lord, the King of heaven and earth. So Paul says to these Colossians, man, please don't be deceived. In Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He is the Creator. He is the Lord of all. Please don't leave your Jesus. Don't be foolish. Don't be ignorant. Don't be crazy. Stay with your Jesus. For by Him all things were created. All things were created through Him. And that's such a mystery. The Father, Son, and Spirit. How they were in one another. How they were tied to one another. How there were three distinct beings. Personalities, as it were. But one being, one essence, one substance. Through the Trinity, the earth was made. Through the Trinity, the heavens were made. Who was made? What was the purpose? What was the end? What was the, the reason? Well, Paul says in verse, the end of verse 16, all things were created through Him and for Him. Now this should define your life. This really, when we pull back and we ask what is happening here, this little verse, for Him, this little phrase, for Him, all things Jeron was created for his own end? No. Jeron was created for that purpose or that purpose. Jeron was created for the Lord Jesus Christ. You were created for the Lord Jesus Christ. This earth and everything about this earth was created for the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the goal of creation. He's the end of creation. He's the purpose for all things being what they are and where they're going and where they're going to end up. And to somehow separate ourselves from Jesus and say, I got this. I'm going to follow these other paths. I'm going to go worship that God or I'm going to participate in that religion or I'm going to go be a secular person. I'm even going to be an atheist. How utterly foolish, how utterly wicked to deny the Lord Jesus Christ. How wrong, how crazy to leave the one we are made for. By Him all things were made. Through Him all things were made. 
For him all things were made. Even those things that are wicked now, even those things that are evil, even those things that are in rebellion now, even those things that are outside of his, uh, the, uh, what we see as his rule now, they aren't. The plan of God is being implemented in one day. Everything will be brought back under the reign of the king. So you see his argument as he's moving through here, don't you? He says, man, don't you leave your Jesus. Don't you leave your Lord. We're in a cultural moment where everything is up in the air. We're in a cultural moment where everything is, is being questioned. Everything is being thrown to the wind and we don't know yet how everything is going to be settled and come about. Paul is saying, stay with Jesus your Lord. He is the wisdom. He is the source of life. He is the one who gives you safety and security. He's the one who brings you salvation. Why go anywhere else? Verse 17, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Verse 17 is somewhat of a summary of verses 15 and 16. He is before all things. Now, before all things temporally, before all things practically, before all things in authority, before all things in power, before all things in might. Any, any category that you can think of, He's before all things. Over all things. And in Him all things hold together. Now that's quite the statement, isn't it? The, uh, the, the, the thousands of galaxies out there that are spinning in their, in their, in their, their own way, they hold together by Jesus' word. They hold together by Jesus' power. Anything that is in this world that is ongoing, uh, natural process, processes, what we call the natural laws, uh, from gravity to speed of light to this or to that, why would any of these things would we expect would continue on? We, we see them moving on in certain regular patterns. Well, why should they? The Bible tells us that everything coheres, everything hangs together, everything is going on because Jesus is allowing it to go on. When Jesus, at the end of time, hands over the world to the Father, the world will be changed and transformed. Jesus could, do, could end all the natural laws today if He wanted to. He could let it go. But everything is sustained by His power. Uh, you step back from that and you start looking at all the things, the, the process, you know, like even in a, in a human cell, all the incredible processes that are going on there, the, functioning, the functions that are taking place, the, the wonder of, nat of, of what God has made in that cell. And from time to time, isn't it crazy how we think that Jesus can't sustain us? How we are tempted to believe that He isn't powerful enough to hold us together. How from time to time we step back and we think He isn't capable of taking care of my stuff. Man, I know you got problems, but you should see my problems. How, how you know, we, we lack perspective on on problems. If Jesus holds the universe together, can't He hold your life together? He can. He does. 
He is faithful. He is true. He keeps his promises. Will anything separate you from the love of Jesus Christ? Will anything wreck and ruin you outside of God's strong plan and hand? No. The Lord who holds the universe together holds you, believer. The Lord who holds the universe together in your sicknesses, in your debts, in your broken relationships, in your struggles today, He's able to carry every last problem and issue that you have. Through any fire, through any flood, through any storm, Jesus stands. Jesus holds. The anchor holds. Please don't be deceived by this cultural moment where maybe some people's faith is being exposed as not real, where maybe some people's faith, their patterns, maybe it's being shifted and sorted out, and they're freaking out, and they're abandoning Jesus. They're looking for something else. They won't find it, but they're, they're leaving the Lord. They're leaving their, their tradition of, of worship, their faith. Don't you leave your Jesus. It would be utterly foolish to do so. Verse 18, He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that everything, that in everything He might be preeminent. Now, the head of the body, the, the metaphor of the church is like we're a body. The local church, the universal church, all the Christians, all the believers from all of time in the universal church, dead and alive. They're in Jesus Christ, but in our local church, we are the metaphor of a body. We, we, we we're put together by Christ. He's arranged us. He's gathered us for worship. He's gathered us to be His. He's arranged us as a body. But who is the head? Our Lord Jesus is the head. The source of life comes from the head. The animation comes from the head. The direction, the leadership, the authority comes from the head. He's the ruler. He's the boss. He's the giver of life. Where would you go if you didn't have your Jesus? He is the head. The beginning of the firstborn from the dead. Now you notice that in the first stanza, verses 15 through 17, he's the firstborn over creation. And now he's the firstborn over what? The dead. He's the firstborn over the body. He's the firstborn over the church. He's the firstborn over the first creation, and he's the firstborn over the new creation. The firstborn, the ruler, the authoritative one, the, 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 the standard, the standing, the all-powerful one, the mighty one, Firstborn from the dead, when Jesus died and was laid in that tomb, on the third day He arose. Rose from the dead, the firstborn. Now, if you go to 1 Corinthians or different passages, you can see about Jesus being the first fruit. Meaning that He was, as, as an apple tree, there's going to be a first fruit that becomes ripe on that apple tree and there will be many other apples to follow. Jesus is the first fruit, the first one from the dead. But Paul here is saying he's the firstborn from the dead. There's going to be a great group of people that when Jesus Christ comes back, 
They're going to be resurrected from the dead. And who is going to be their Lord? Who's going to be their head? Who's going to be their champion? Who's going to be their boss, their CEO, their king? The Lord Jesus Christ will be preeminent over all the new creation. When the new heaven and the new earth comes, when God recreates all of creation, removing all sin and removing all evil, bringing forth all that He has planned for the universe, all that He's planned from, be- from when eternity began, before eternity began, when He brings it to fruition, who is going to be the one who is preeminent? Jesus Christ. Firstborn over this new people that are called the church. Jesus is ruler. He will reign. If you're not part of the church, if you're not part of His kingdom, you will not be part of the new heaven, new earth. Why would you go anywhere else when He is the Creator, when He is God, when He is the authoritative one, when He's the boss, the CEO? Why would you go anywhere else when He is preeminent, when He is supreme, when He is all-sufficient? The Lord of heaven and earth. Paul says something at the end of that, at the end of that sentence, that in everything He might be preeminent. Now, that's, that's an interesting statement. And I, and I think what it means was that when Jesus was born to a virgin, when He became incarnate, He, he took on a human body without ceasing to be God. Almost nobody understood His identity. He was, as that little baby in a manger, preeminent. He was still supreme. He was still almighty. But nobody recognized it. And so the rising of Jesus from the dead to glory, He's not the first one who rose from the dead, but He's the first one who will never die again. He's the one who's been given a glorified body, the first one. What this is saying, Paul is saying, is that God showed off. God, by raising Jesus from the dead, letting Him be seen in glory, what he was became actualized before human sight. And uh, another letter that, that Paul writes, uh, there, there's actually several places, but another level, letter that Paul writes in Philippians, he says this about the resurrected Jesus, chapter 2, verse 9 of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. When he died on the cross, therefore God has highly exalted him, the resurrection, and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That in everything He might be preeminent, in everything He might be supreme. He was at, at His birth. God became man fully and completely and genuinely God, fully and completely and genuinely human, became one person, two natures in one person. He was preeminent, supreme in eternity past. In the incarnation, He was preeminent, supreme. In the resurrection, He was declared preeminent and supreme who He was. And every knee should bow. Every tongue should confess. If you are here today and you're an atheist, you should bow to Jesus Christ. 
For He is the Lord, the preeminent One, the all-powerful One. He is God. He's the reigning King, the ruler of the universe, and He always will be. Paul is saying to the Colossians, you guys, you're going to worship the worship of angels. You're going to some secret rites to get some secret message that you think, some secret sign that will protect you. Don't you know who Jesus is? He is Lord of all things, supreme in all ways, sufficient for everything you have in your life. Anything that's coming against you, anything that's tearing you apart, anything that's destroying you right now, Jesus is sufficient to deal with it and handle with it because He is Lord. Go to Him. Depend on Him. Trust in Him and He will save you. So He's that preeminent supreme one that uh, is just beyond our comprehension in some ways. But Paul says, for verse 19 of Colossians 1, for in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. <laughs> and we, we have a repeated pattern here. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself or for Himself all things. Remember earlier the, the, the creation was made in Him and through Him and for Him. Well, he's basically saying here that, that the same thing. In verse 19, for in Him the fullness of God, through Him the fullness of God, and to Him the fullness of God. All things belong to Him, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Now, we pull back from this, and Colossians, you are looking for God. You're looking for, for angels to help you. You're, you're, in our terminology, new age kind of a way of thinking about things. You're, you're, you're looking for secrets and hidden wisdom. The fullness of God completely in Jesus Christ. Absolutely there. Why would you go anywhere else? Now, we, we think about that. When we think about that terminology, the way it's talking about it, we think of a, a cup. You know, like here's water and, and maybe there was a pouring of water into Jesus. That's, that's not what it means. Okay, because he's already full. Jesus is divine. Jesus is fully God. But the fullness of the Father found completion in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, and, and, and we have to go to the Gospel of John to really get this way of thinking. Jesus says, I am in the Father, the Father is in me. Okay, in the Trinity, there's a, a, a unity that, that we have a hard time describing, a unity that we have a hard time understanding a completeness that we have a hard time grappling with. But where Jesus is, the Father is. There's a distinction. The Word was with God. The Word was God. So there's a diversity in the Trinity, but there's a unity there. And Paul is saying, all that God is, Father, Spirit, Son, is in Jesus, this man who walked the earth. The fullness of God he is not lacking anything. He's complete. God's fully there. In Jesus, in the Trinity, He's present. Don't leave Jesus because of some crazy cultural moments. 
as the world goes chaotic, as the world goes in so many ways, institutions are falling apart. People are leaving these institutions. They're leaving their traditions. They're leaving relationships because why can't I? Why can't I? They're leaving that. Why may I, maybe I'm missing out on something, so I'm leaving everything behind. I'm quitting. Don't you quit your faith in Jesus Christ. Hold on to Jesus no matter what. He, the fullness of God, was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by his blood, the blood of his cross. Who is Jesus? He's the reconciler. He's the reconciler. He's the one who takes enemies and makes them friends of God. He's the one who takes those people who are far away from God and draws them near to God. He's the one who grabs a hold of people. He calls them to trust in him. He's the Savior. He's the reconciler. And all things one day, everything that's out of harmony, all things that are, everything that's broken, everything that's bent, everything that's out of shape and out of form today, one day the reconciler will bring all things back into order, will bring all things back into structure, will bring all things back into peace. Now, does that mean that some of the demons will be reconciled? No. They're going to be judged. They will bow the knee to Jesus. Does that mean the devil will be reconciled to Jesus? No. But it'll be brought back into order, brought back under the reign of the Creator. He does that. And so you move from the big creation that's, that's out of shape, the big creation that's in bondage right now, the, the creation that's waiting for the for the revelations of the, son, the sons and daughters of God when, when the resurrection comes, moves from the great, great grandness of that. All of, all of creation is for God, for Christ. And you, verse 21, who are once alienated, you who are hostile in mind, remember what He did for you. Remember what He accomplished for you. You who are doing evil deeds, He is now reconciled in His body, of flesh by his death, he has brought you near. Who else could have brought you near to the throne of grace? Who else could have brought you to heaven? Who else could have saved you? He did it through the shedding of his blood on the cross. He did it as a substitute for you to save you and rescue you. No one else could have done that. Only Jesus. You were far away. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. Now, when Jesus comes back, if you are in Jesus, if you place your faith in Jesus and you persevere to the end, when Jesus comes back, how will you be presented before God? Holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. Right now, in Jesus Christ, you have the position of being declared holy. One day when Jesus comes back and you've persevered to the end, you've kept your faith, you will have the condition of being holy. You will be holy fully and completely and absolutely. If, indeed, you continue in the faith, Stable and steadfast, grounded and unshakable, not shifting from the hope of the gospel you have heard. Brothers and sisters, 
temptation in the days ahead, there's going to be a great temptation to walk away from Jesus. Keep the faith. Keep your confident expectation of salvation in Jesus Christ. Keep in Jesus Christ. Keep the hope in Jesus Christ. He will save you. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.